0: Titled, Make Your Face Shine on Us. Make Your Face Shine on Us. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak to us through your word now. Give to us understanding hearts and willing, willing uh, willing souls to act upon what we hear in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 46 says this, There are many who say, Who will show us some good? Lord, lift up the light of your face upon us. For the last two years, we've been studying the Gospel of Luke. If you come here on Sunday morning, we usually open to the Gospel of Luke. We'll get back to that. But I think there's some specific issues for our ministry to address. And so for the next three or four weeks, I want to take you to some different passages and some different phrases that God is bringing to my mind to help us as a church. And it was going to be, show me your glory today, but we'll save that one. Make your face shine on us. Show me your glory. Consider your ways are a few of the phrases that we're going to look at in this series. We'll come back to Luke at some point. But I think we need at this point in our ministry to discuss open and honestly, the future, and the current state of grace, the current state of each one of you and myself, because I desperately want to see God do something. I don't want to spend my life and look back at the end of it and realize that I was never a part of something that God was doing. And I'm, des- I mean, I'm desperate for that. And, and I, I want to see God work. I want to see Him move. And I hope that it's here. I hope it's here at Grace. But we need some sort of revitalization, some sort of new life. That's what the word revitalize means. It comes from the Latin word vita. I mean, you think of all the words that have that, a vitamin, or something is vital. Or, or we have vitality. We need to be revitalized to have a new vigor, a new energy, and a new life. And it cannot just come from one person. There must be a collected group of people that are willing to admit that they need to be revitalized because they've either fallen away or been apathetic or, 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 or to find some people who are willing to join themselves that we could see God do something I don't I, I guess I don't want to come to the end of my life and wish and wonder did I not do something so that God couldn't work I don't want to just do the routine of gathering Sunday by Sunday and this is what it is this is what it is and we can never expect God to do anything greater because this we just kind of are settling for this I mean thousands of churches are closing their doors each year and many reasons are given loss of a true mission they, they hate the culture And the culture kind of senses that. They look down their noses at the culture and what the culture is doing. Well, how do we expect unbelievers to act? They don't love the culture as far as the people and lovingly guide them to the gospel. They're apathetic. I'm talking about church members. They're apathetic. They lack commitment. They don't want community. They keep themselves from relationships and fellowships. have such an inward focus. Those are reasons that I found online for why churches are closing their doors. I guess I just want to announce to you that I am not content to oversee an apathetic, inward-focused church. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily what's marking our church, but, but I desire to see our church revitalized with a group of people dedicated to a common vision, committed together to Christ and each other, and dreaming of seeing God do big things together. And, and, and one person can have that dream and that vision, but if it's not shared by others, then it's like doing this over and over again. right? Isn't that what insanity is? Isn't that what people say insanity is? Doing the same things over and over and expecting a different result? So, so I want to talk for the next few weeks very honestly and openly about what we need to do if we expect God to move and do anything. So I hope you're willing to listen to some hard things. I desire, I want to cast a vision for our church and admonish and encourage and exhort every one of us. Uh, I I have this huge vision, a huge vision of a church that loves Christ, of a church that loves each other. And of a church that loves the lost, a church that wants to worship, that wants to have community with each other, that doesn't just see this as a place, almost like it's a restaurant. We, we are almost like we're coming in and sitting at different tables and we're all being served something and and we're being fed and and we're getting our needs met. and then and we scatter from that restaurant. and it's like, It's almost like we're as disconnected from each other as we are to people at Buffalo Wild Wings. We we don't have that that interpersonal love and community and fellowship. And I wonder if we even desire that. But but I have a vision for that. That worships the Lord and sings these songs with, with heartfelt emotion and love for what Christ has done. And a church that loves the lost, that wants to see... The world around us come to Christ. So I want us to think and pray about how God could change us and change the way we're doing things. I'm not talking not necessarily about as a church, but as individuals, and then that does come together in a group of a corporate body, how we're doing things. I mean, We're eight years into this thing. We're eight years into this. Okay, And, and I don't want to just be content to be another eight years of the same and whatever God does, God is going to do, but I want to ask myself, and I want you to be willing to ask yourself, is there something that we're not doing, right? Or is there something that I could be doing, to not, not to assist God, that's not what I mean, but to, to, to make us open to his blessing, okay? I, I did things so weird this week, because I said, okay, I want to do something different, so I didn't usually I sit behind the computer and I take all these notes and I, type, I just start writing whatever was on my heart. So I don't even know if this is going to be five minutes or 40. I bet you're hoping it's five. But I, the, the idea is it's just I just want this to be something that is expressed from my heart to yours as I love you as your pastor, but I'm not content for us to just continue being the same. I'm a, I'm, I would lose my mind. I would lose my mind. Okay? And, and it's, it's, just like, it's just like any of you who have a hobby or a career Or or uh, or a or a business or a desire you want to excel and exceed and and I'm not saying and the spiritual world is different I understand that we all are dependent on faith and for God to work but but I want to ask ourselves is there something we can do in other words I don't want the I don't want our church to just be your convenient church like a 7-Eleven that you can stop in whenever you want I don't want it to be a complacent church or a corrupt church or a contented church. We're just happy with who we have. Come on, this is our little family. And if we get more people, we might, it might disturb our little group. Complacent and convenient stick out to me as far as, you know, I, I can just drop in when I want. And if, if something else is more important or, or someone else is more important, then I'll just, I'll just skew over that way. And I can stop in like a 7-Eleven that's open 24-7 and get my needs whenever I want. I want us to be not a convenient, complacent, corrupt, or contented church, but a compassionate, committed, caring, and connected group of believers. And so the vision I want to give you is of a growing body of believers and an expanding ministry to the community. I want to see growth and conversions. I want to see our church become a family. I want it to be, when you speak of our church, you're not just speaking of this hundred year old building that we have but you're speaking of the relationships that you have developed with other people the love that you have for brothers and sisters in Christ and in the years to come you're like I go to that church and I love my church you ever hear people talking about that they say things, I love my church and what they mean is I love all those people there they're my family I want to see our young people growing up going to Christian college training for ministry I want to see uh a booming children's and young people's ministry, a discipleship program where where 20, 40, 60, 80-year-olds are all coming to Christ and then sitting other underbelievers, taking them through the Word of God and growing them. You know what all that is? That's life. That's vigor. That's vitality. And we need some of that here. And so I want you to pray with me because I cannot do it by myself. I want you to pray with me Psalm 67, verse 1. And in Psalm 4, verse 6, which is what I quoted earlier, they, they say the same things. The prayer is, Lord, lift up the light of your face on us. Lord, lift up the light of your face on us. So if you're going to pray that with me, you probably should know what it means. Okay? I mean, this is a fascinating prayer. Psalm 4, 6 is the one pr- place we're going to look at a bunch of places. Psalm 4.6, lift up the light of your face on us. Psalm 67.1, it says it a little differently. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Here's what is mean in the Bible as the face of God. Now, we all understand that God does not have arms or hands or a face. God does not have a body. The Father is spirit, John 4.24. He uses those terms to speak to us in ways that we can understand. So when we say, God, lift up the light of your face on us, the face of God then means it is his personality as either being turned towards us or away from us. God, lift up the light of your face on us is a prayer that says, God, we want you to be towards us, not away from us. Listen to some of these scriptures that I Jotted down late last night. Deuteronomy thirty-one seventeen and eighteen talks about him being away from us. Listen, my anger will be kindled against them. I will forsake them, and here it is: hide my face from them. Job thirteen twenty-four. Why do you hide your face from me, counting me as an enemy? And then on the other side, you know, towards us, Psalm thirty-one sixteen: make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. Psalm 119, 135. Make your face shine on your servant. This, this phrase that the title of the sermon is, make your face shine on us, is not a obscure, once-used phrase here buried deep in the middle of the Psalms. It is a phrase that is constant throughout scripture. Whether hide your face or make your face shine, even into the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where it is pictured as God's God's presence, God's delight. God's movement towards us and I'll explain more about that in just a minute. And I feel right now that I would rather die than be in a ministry where God's face is hidden from us. Won't you? I mean it's like if God is going to hide his face from us then I would rather I would rather burn to death. Then try to keep doing ministry without the face of God. Because like I'm gonna do it in my own strength with God kind of hiding his face from the ministry. And that is like that is like a three-week-long dentist appointment. I mean, it's torture. I'm just gonna keep plugging away, and we're just gonna keep doing ministry and kind of forget whatever influence God is gonna have. Who cares if he's hiding his faces? We gotta keep the programs going. We gotta keep having services. No, we don't desperately need God to lift up His face on us. I feel like John Knox who said, give me Scotland or I die. Or the psalmist in Psalm 27.13 who said, I would have fainted unless I believed I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I would have given up unless I believed God would work. I want the light of God's face. Light, of course, is a reference to God's glory or His beneficence or His righteousness. And when we say, lift up the light of your face upon us, we understand that God is omnipresent. So it's not like, well, God isn't here, or God isn't with us. But what we want is the glory of God to be on us in a special way. It also means, according to theologians, the light of His face, the approval of God on a person or group of people. Oh, that's, that's desperately needed. Can you imagine having the approval or the face of God shining? It would be the greatest blessing any human could experience. Yet we pursue nonsense because we think that is where joy and blessing comes from. In fact, I quoted Psalm 4. I know we're in Psalm 67. I quoted Psalm 40 at the beginning of of the message, and it's important that I look at it again. Psalm 4, 6 says, there are many say who say, who will show us some good? And here is the prayer, the phrase I'm trying to harp, harp on today for us. Lift up the light of your face on us, O Lord. And then it goes on, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. I told you this before, we stopped one Sunday at the, at the gas station uh, at, up at uh, 32 in Van Dyke. whatever that is, I don't know what brand it is, but we went in and the lady had a winning lottery ticket. She won 30 grand. And she she was off her nut, you know? She was just thrilled. The Lord has given me more joy than that 30 grand will ever bring that woman. The Lord has given you more joy and abundance with the shining of His face on us than the pursuit of some... Stupid, trivial, temporary wealth or riches or achievement. And we cannot expect the light of God's face when the members of the church are scurrying around to other things and not seeking the greatest blessing of all, which is the light of God's face. Someone has said, What shadows we are and what shadows we pursue. We've talked about before someone chasing wind in Ecclesiastes. We talked about that throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. That's what it talks about. It's like a person chasing wind. Like if you saw somebody out chasing the wind later today, you'd be like, that person is insane. They're running around after nothing. And yet we see people around pursuing wealth and pursuing accolades and pursuing the temporary. Oh, yeah, that, that's, that's, a, that's a good use of their time. Oh, they're, they're doing well there. Right? They have no time for church or Christ, but look at what they're pursuing. Look at all they're achieving. Isn't that wonderful? No, we should look at those people in the same way we look at people chasing wind. They're pursuing something that will never satisfy. They're chasing shadows that are here and then gone. Why do we seek those blessings elsewhere? We should begin like the psalmist does who says, God, we need the light of your face. Now I want to look at two passages on this. That's one yellow paper down, so that's our time frame so far. Let's look at the two passages on this. The first one is Psalm 67 and the one where we'll be spending the most time. We already read it when we did our scripture reading this morning, so we're familiar a little bit with it. And it's not a real familiar psalm. If I were to say, what are your favorite psalms? Psalm 67 might not jump to the top. In fact, in Luther's commentaries on the psalms, which he has done five big volumes on psalms in his commentaries, he skipped Psalm 67. It's never taken a a real... uh, it's never, the church has never taken a real uh, liking to this one as far as being a popular and prominent psalm, but it's beautiful. And it's actually, it's actually a missionary psalm. It, it goes from the joy and the face of God shining upon His people to that shining of God's face on His people And that power being spread to the nations and the peoples of the earth who then will praise God. The nations will be glad. The peoples will praise you as they see God's face shining on his people. Here's what one Scottish theologian said, Alexander McLaren. This psalm is truly a missionary psalm because it clearly anticipates the universal spread of the knowledge of God. And it has a firm grasp of the thought that the, listen to this please, that the people of God have their blessings in order to evangelize the world. It is also intense in the longing that from all the nations of the earth a shout of praise might go up to the God who has sent some rays of his light into them all and committed to his people the task of carrying a brighter illumination to every land. I wish that guy was here today to say that to us. That is just astounding. What he's saying is that the people of God, verse 1, get their blessings for a purpose, and that purpose is, so as the face of God is shining upon the people of God, the other nations are going, huh, wow, look at what God means and is and does for those people we will also join with them and we will, we will shout praise to God. And that is the joy of the people of God to take that light that God gives us. John 1, right? He lights every man that comes into the world. And we take that light and spread it so that other nations and peoples are praising him. Do you have the desire that in six months, eight months, one year, there'd be people sitting in these rows that you have talked to that would be singing, there is a higher throne, we will go where we belong heaven's angels ring and I am, you know, that sort of confidence and presence. Don't you desire that? If you don't desire that, I, I might as well say goodbye. Because, I, I, again, I don't want to just keep banging my head and saying, well, there's not a whole lot of people that want the same things. They just want this place to be a uh, place where they can, you know, kind of stop in once in a while. Okay? I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm trying to be honest with where we're at. Spurgeon says about this psalm, the great theme of the psalm is that Gentiles will participate in the worship of Jehovah. There are people sleeping, there are people brunching, there are people golfing, there are people playing sports today, there are people shopping that we want to see join with us here singing praise to God. Now, verse 1 tells us the three things that the psalmist wants, three things that the psalmist wants, and this is so beautiful. Okay, let's look at it together. You, You can pick them out, it's not that difficult. May God be gracious to us. That's number one. It might use, in your, in your Bible, might use the word merciful, and I'll explain what the word means. May God be merciful or gracious to us, number one. And number two, may he do what? Come on, follow along. Bless us, number two. And then the third one is the one we're talking about. Make his face to shine upon us. So let me summarize these so they're easy to remember. This is what we desire. God be merciful to us. First, forgive us. Forgive us. Be gracious to us. Luke 18.13 uses a very similar word when the guy is pounding his chest at the temple and the Pharisee is bragging about how great he is. And the guy pounding his chest says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, pardon us from our sins. Forgive us. Cleanse us. Be gracious to us. And second, bless us. First one is forgive us our sins. Bless us is fulfill your promises. Fulfill your promises. So when we pray like the psalmist does, be gracious to us, we say, God, forgive us. Then we say, bless us, we say, God, fulfill all your promises to us. Do good for and to us. We beg Him to do that. And the third, make His face to shine upon us. And now I'm going to finally get into what I think this word really means and term really means. We go with the F letter F. Forgive us, fulfill, forgive our sins, Fulfill your promises and cause cause his face to shine upon us really is to favor us. To favor us. And you notice at the end of Psalm 67, verse 1, it has the word selah. It's a musical term that means just pause for a minute and think about that. So just pause for a second. Be merciful to us, forgive us. Bless us, fulfill your promises. Cause your face to shine upon us, favor us. The shining face of verse 1 and of Psalm 4 and those other passages I mentioned is what we must desire. Shining face is the the opposite of a scowling face. It's a delightful face, not a disgusted face. It's an interested face, not an indifferent face. It's like when you look across Uh, the pew and the child is making noise during the sermon. It's not a shining face of the Father that looks down. That's not the face shining upon us. right? It's It's a sign of displeasure. Right? Of disgust. We desire the shining face of God. It implies the friendliness of a warm relation. The pleasure that is found of Him in us. To have God's face shine upon us is to know Him and be favored by Him. And it's the greatest blessing anyone can experience. Just listen to this. Same word in the Bible. I'm not just pulling out one little thing here. Genesis 6, 8. What did Noah find in the eyes of the Lord? What did he find? starts with letter F. He found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Psalm 90, verse 17 says, Let the favor of the Lord our God be on us and establish the works of of our hands and in Luke 1 when an angel came to a virgin he said greetings highly favored one God took pleasure in Noah took pleasure in the psalmist took pleasure in Mary and favored them with the light of his face shining upon them God let us find your favor let us find your acceptance now how is this granted how is this achieved well in the context of saving favor saving favor it's unmerited that God's grace is simply granted by his own sovereign will and bestowed on any of those who have faith he grants us his favor not because we deserve it talking about saving favor saving grace but because Christ has suffered in our place on the cross Christ has paid the penalty for our sins The sins would separate us from a holy God and threaten and put us in jeopardy of spending eternity separated from him forever. This week, two people passed away connected to our ministry. Dave's dad, as you know, and then uh, Elsie uh, Shimon Shimon is her last name. She came, an elderly German lady, came several Sunday nights with uh, her, her son Fred. And uh, based on what we know, we, 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 we hope, but we're, we're not certain, we, we don't believe that uh, she knew Christ. We just don't think that. I mean, we hope, we hope we're wrong, but from outward appearances, no. Dave's dad, completely different. A full and complete understanding that this man trusted Christ and lived for the Lord his whole life, no doubt. Think of the differences this morning. And, and that's just two. I mean, how many people pass? Do you ever, you ever look at the death clock on the computer or the population clock on the computer? It'll tell you how many births are happening. I mean, the, the deaths just go like this. The numbers just, it's like a speedometer. It just keeps, that's not the right term, odometer. It just, just keeps going, spinning, spinning, spinning. People just dying. And, and, and some are entering into a world that, you know, we, have this, we had this famous chef commit suicide this week. And again, I don't know his own personal Life. I, I, I'm not making any sort of judgments, but apart from Christ, I bet you he wishes now that he could, he could just end his existence, and he can't. And no one who enters into hell will ever exit. That's, I, I joke about it sometimes, but when I go to the dentist and I open the door, I'm just waiting for the moment when I leave. And, and we have those type of places, right? Doctors, dentists, shopping malls. We go in and we just want to get out. And hell, I'm not trying to be trite about it, hell is a place that those who do not have God's saving favor and rejected His advances and His call like it's going out right now. The call of the gospel is going out right now. Will you receive Jesus Christ, child, teen, adult, will you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and say, eh, or you either presume that you are and then you look at your life and then there's nothing that backs up any sort of profession of faith Because 90% of America will say they're Christian. That doesn't mean you are. Do you love Jesus? Do you love his word? Do you love his people? Is Christ number one in your life? Say, yes, I'm saved. Then praise God. But if you're not, then you are headed for an eternity separated from him forever. And you can never leave that. Luke 16, please send somebody back and warn my friends and brothers not to come here. Nope, it's too late. They have the word. If they'll respond to that, great. If not, they're coming too. And then the glory of the saving favor of God that rescues us from that and praise God, when my eyes close in death, they will open in heaven. And yours will as well if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If then the saving grace, the saving favor of God is unmerited, why would we ever have to pray for it? Psalm 4.6 Lift up your face. Let your face shine on me. Psalm 67.1. This is a prayer. May God be gracious to us. Bless us. Why would we have to pray for His favor? Is there another special favor that God gives to a group of people or individuals in another way? And I believe the answer is yes. So how do we get that favor? I did a little study on that, as you might expect. Listen to these verses and see if you can find the common denominator for those who received favor. I already mentioned Genesis 6, verse 8, where it says Noah found grace or found favor in the eyes of God. You know what the next verse says? And Noah was a righteous man. Psalm 5, verse 12. Just listen to these verses. You bless the righteous. You cover him with favor like a shield. Psalm 84, verse 11 The Lord bestows favor and honor, and no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Psalm 101, verse 6 says, Favor is granted to the faithful, to the one whose way is blameless. Turn with me to one. I don't want to just quote them. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. There's dozens I could have referenced. I chose six. Look at Proverbs chapter 3. And verse number one, I want you to see it. My son, I'll start reading even though you're still flipping. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years and life of life and peace they will add to you. Here we go, verse three and four. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. You know what the common denominator to those who are receiving that favor from God? You heard it, didn't you? The common denominator is what? Righteousness. It's the conforming to a standard. The ones who follow God's laws. There seems to be a favor. And I'm not talking about saving favor that falls on us. That's why I made the distinction. Saving grace comes You don't obey anything. You just act in faith. But this special favor comes to believers who are righteous. It is hypocritical for us to pray Psalm 67.1 and Psalm 4.6 and 7 and then consider our own sinfulness as not important enough to be dealt with. If we desire the special favor of God on us or on our church, then we must seek to live in accordance with His desires. God puts, this then puts us in the place to be blessed. Someone far greater than my, Puritan Matthew Henry, says, if we walk by faith with God, we may then hope that His face will shine towards us. In Psalm 67, back there, the purpose then of that favor is to extend that light to the nations of the world to believe the gospel and for them to be saved. We must have that desire and put forth that effort that God has shined his special favor on us for the desire that others will hear it. And guess what? In about five hours, you have that opportunity to come and hand out cards for VBS and say, will you come and hear the gospel and recognize the joy that God gives me is a joy that he wants to extend to you. People are not going to barge down these doors simply because we have a sign at the corner of the road They need to be invited and called and welcomed. And how will they hear unless a preacher goes to them? How will they? They're not just going to come marching in here without being invited and called and encouraged. And you have that chance even tonight to demonstrate that the favor of God upon you is for the purpose of other peoples and the rest of the nations. I mean, We don't have to go to the nations. We go three blocks down. How does verse 3, 4, and 5 of Psalm 67 happen? Notice it, Psalm 3, 4, and 5. 67, 3, 4, 5. The peoples will praise you. The nations will be glad and sing. Look at this worship that's happening from all over the globe because of God's favor shining on His people. How does it happen? How do the nations come to know God? Justin Martyr said that it was the testimony of the, of the joy-filled lives of other believers that led Him Him. To trust Christ, the world looks at us, and you know what they ask: Does Christ make any difference to them? Because if He makes no difference to them, then why would I want to invest my life in something that doesn't seem to affect them at all? Doesn't that make sense? It's like it's like a uh, it's like a uh, it's like a five hundred pound person telling you about their latest diet. It's like a person who doesn't care at all about some aspect of life then, then explaining the joys of how much they love baseball or how much they love, uh, you know, uh, making leather. And, and then you say, oh, well, you, you enjoy making leather. Take me to your shop and show me all the... Oh, well, I, I enjoy it. It doesn't mean I do any of it. It's, it's such a disconnect. But for some reason in Christianity, we just allow it. Oh, man, I love Jesus. Hey, my Savior, I'll pray... Well, uh, your life certainly doesn't seem to to back that up in any way. Everything else takes priority. It's not like Colossians 1 where Jesus is given the preeminence over all things. And to get that, here's one more quote. One of the biggest hindrances in evangelism, and that's what verses 3, 4, and 5 is, it's a missionary psalm, is that the church has failed to supply evidence in her life of the power of God. That's a damning quote. One of the biggest hindrances to evangelism is the church has failed to supply evidence in her life of the power of God on her. Rightly, we pray for God's blessing and mercy and light of his countenance, which I'm encouraging us to do. But not so that we can monopolize his grace and bask in the sunshine of his favor and just kind of sit here and be like, Oh, we're so glad we have this little group and we're, God loves us. Yay, yay, yay. Kumbaya, my Lord, Kumbaya but that others may see in us the favor and blessing and beauty of God and be drawn to Him through us. Here's the question. If Grace Baptist Church closed its doors tomorrow, would anybody in this community know? Would anybody in this community care? What difference has Christ made in your life that when you're around unbelievers, they recognize Jesus is the most important thing in that person's life? Matthew 5 we are lights in this world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. They may see the favor of God in your life and glorify God. They might. This is, goes right along with 67. They see the power, verse 2. They see the saving power. And then they praise God. 1 Peter 2 says, You shine as lights in the world. Are you doing that? Does your life, your righteous, faithful, steadfast love, all those verses that we looked at, which is then crowned with the favor and power of God, does your life beam into the lives of unbelievers like a blinding light? Does God matter so much to you so that your life is dominated by a desire to please Him that your face, that his face shine upon you, and this is a collection of people that we need to build the foundation of a church, not simply a check-in when convenient, or an emergency 911 call when there's trouble. But everything is Christ. Life is Christ. Let's look at the second passage, Numbers chapter six. Numbers chapter six, the second passage, Application and done. I am desperate. I am am desperate to see the church grow, the gospel go out, and to see the favor of God on our ministry. And I'm telling you, the thing that is needed is the righteous, faithful collection of believers who will stack hands and say, I am all in on that. Number six is a very familiar and famous passage known as the Aaronic or Aaronic the name of Aaron, his blessing. It's often used as a benediction in churches. You no doubt have heard it before. Starting in verse 22. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons saying, Thus shall you bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face, there it is again, his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. But then it says it again, the Lord lift up his countenance. That just means face. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. Some people believe this is a Trinitarian blessing because it uses the Lord three times. It's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Everybody see that? That means Jehovah in the original, Yahweh. But it's used three times as if And I I wouldn't necessarily say this, so I step over here. I I might believe this at some point, but it's almost like the first blessing may be the Father's blessing. The second blessing may be the Son's blessing. The third blessing may be the Spirit's blessing. And I I could buy that. I could buy that. I wouldn't necessarily stake my life on it, but I could see that. Let's talk about each three, and briefly. The Lord bless you and keep you. Whenever we bless God, in fact, Ephesians 1, we did a study on this. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we bless God, it's the the Greek word eulogos. E-U starts, it means well. Logos means word. It means to say well words. Eulogy. Someone gives a eulogy about someone, they are speaking well words about them. When we bless God, all we can do is really well saying. But when God blesses us, this is in great terminology, it is well doing. He has blessed us in creation, but He has blessed us far more in the new creation. Is it a blessing to have birth? Is it a blessing to be alive? Okay, two people are happy to be alive. Yeah, it's great to be alive and enjoy life. Is it a blessing of the new birth? To, right, John 3, to have that new life that he gives? Is it a blessing to have food? I mean, I can't wait. I'm going home and i have pasties for lunch. But is it a blessing to have Jesus as the bread of life who satisfies our hunger? Is it a blessing to have clothing to be... Yes, it is. It is a blessing to have clothing. But to be wrapped in the robes of righteousness that Christ grants us, Isaiah and Revelation, it is, a, is it a blessing to be part of a family and a far greater blessing to be a son or daughter of God? And besides all that, all the promises of the new covenant, pardon and inheritance, forgiveness, all the rest that God grants us, He has blessed us and He will keep us, preserve us, watch over us, secure us. Second, The Lord make His face, verse 25, to shine on us. Again, this is the sign of friendship and favor. And if this is the Son's blessing, right the Father, Son, Spirit, if this is the Son's blessing, then it makes sense that God's face could never shine upon us unless Christ had sacrificed Himself. We could never be reconciled to God without the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the favor of God resting on those, I think this is talking about the saving favor of God. And I think the third aspect that spirits work, the Lord lift up his countenance or lift up his face upon you, is the conscious and delightful sense of God's favor. It's the manifestation and the realization that God has favored us. It's so similar to Psalm 67.1. And this gives us peace. Let me make some application. We, did, we went over that one very quickly compared to the Psalm 67 one. But let me make some application. Four statements of application. Life is far too short to waste it. And I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste my effort in this life, nor should you. The, the worst thing for me would be to get to the end of, the, end of my life and uh, and have not experienced this favor that I talked about this morning. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at a couple more statements. Show me your glory, consider your ways. But what can we take away today? I know we haven't got the whole package there, but what can we take away today? I talked about at the beginning as far as this word vitality, new life, new energy, right? Well, what are things that mark a church? of vitality I, I want to say four things based on what we talked about this morning okay first a church of vitality is made up these are all going to be with the letter r is made up of truly regenerated men and women truly regenerated men and women men and women who really do know jesus christ as their personal savior not people who are phony baloney pretending to know jesus not religious people Not people who like to be around Christianity, kind of like the music, kind of like the people, kind of like the trappings of Sunday, but they are truly regenerated. They know Christ as Lord. Second, a church of vitality is marked by truly righteous men and women. That's the second thing. God's special favor is, God's, excuse me, God's saving favor is granted to everyone who's regenerated. But God's special favor, according to our Old Testament passage that we looked at this morning, God's special favor is reserved for the righteous for those who then live their lives committed to Christ, committed to community, committed to fellowship, committed to their church family, committed to the, uh, the ordinances and obligations that God has outlined for us, and do so because they know the commands of God are not grievous. A church of vitality is marked by truly rejoicing men and women. The Psalm 67, 1 passage, you cannot get away from the joy that is in that passage. The people who are just praising God And and they can't believe what God has done for them. And they sing songs like Jesus' name above all names and they can hardly control their passion for Christ. They are not people who walk into the church and can't wait for it to be over because they have plugged their clock like a time clock at work and are ready to leave. They rejoice over all that God has done. They rejoice in their regeneration. They rejoice that God enables them to be righteous. And last, and this is critical, a church of vitality is marked by the regenerate, truly regenerate, truly righteous, truly rejoicing, and forth truly reaching. They have a commitment to the lost. They reach out. They desire, as Psalm 67 says, to see the nations rejoicing with us. You know what this takes? Commitment, time, energy, devotion, effort. A church cannot and will not be sustained by half-hearted or hypocritical commitments. God's favor rests, and His face shines on the committed and the righteous. And so we, like William Carey said, will attempt great things for God while we expect great things from God. And oh, how I pray that this series of messages would revitalize our church and lead to an awakening, and we pray together, God, lift up your face on us. Let's pray. Father, we end this message with a plea that you would do what we have talked about this morning. That you would reach into the hearts of those who need to be challenged and changed by what we've discussed. Each one of us, Father, feeling the pangs of our apathy and our lack of commitment and our desire uh, had been in other places rather than on Christ and in Christ alone. And how desperately, Father, we need to see you work. And we pray that you would lift up the light of your face on us and that we would put ourselves in a position to be blessed and favored in such a way by our righteous, committed living. Be gracious to us, God. Forgive us of our sins and bless us. Fulfill all your promises to us. Build your church. Provide our needs. Be present ever with us. But God, favor us with that special favor that you grant to those who walk rightly. You do not hold anything back from those who walk in an upright way. Your favor and your face shines on the one whose way is blameless. Father, you know how desperate I am to see you work and how I do not want to see my life frittered away. Please, please, gather together in this place a group of people that will stack hands and say, we're on it. Christ is all. And for your glory and for your name only, may this joy extend to the community of Romeo and beyond so that others would join with us and add their voice to the chorus of our worship. You are so worthy of it all and we pray these things in Jesus' blessed and holy name. Amen.